PV Mart stores are rooted in the communities we serve, and we are connected to the land in the same way our customers are. Whether you're an urban farmer, backyard chicken aficionado, traditional rancher, or anything in between, we offer just the right mix of homesteading, outdoor adventure, DIY, yard and garden, outdoor and workwear, husbandry, livestock, and pet supplies. Whether you're a dabbler or all in, we're here to help and strive to offer a range of products that will meet the unique needs of our customers. PV Mart will always be there with the tools, equipment, indoor or outdoor wares, seed or feed, for everyday work, fun, or connecting to the land on a whole new level. For more information, go to pvmart.com. Hi, I'm Ian Sherwood. As a songwriter and musician, I've traveled through countless small towns, heard incredible stories, and witnessed some of the amazing ways in which people in towns and cities across this vast country have woven their lives into the land they live on. It's made me think about the way I interact with my own environment and the natural world, where my family's food comes from, what impact I'm having on the planet, and what we're all leaving behind for our kids to inherit. So now I'm on a mission to learn about how I can tap back into the essence of where we all come from. Today, with so much at our fingertips, it's easy to lose sight of the most important connection we have. Welcome to Connected to the Land. Sometimes you just need to get outside, you know, escape the pressures of our digital plugged in world. But what does that look like for you? Do you go for a walk in the park, a bike ride across town, Maybe a swim at the local watering hole. How about getting up at 3 a.m. to drive five hours to then put your canoe in the water, paddle and portage all day to a remote campsite, set up, bunk down, and then get up and hit the water again, rain or shine? Yeah, it's not the first thing I think of either when I want to relax, but honestly, there's still an allure to it. You know, not that long ago, getting around Canada, whether it was for business or survival, looked a lot like what I just described, minus the driving for five hours. North America is filled with waterways that canoers and backcountry campers have been using for generations. The gear has changed, but the draw to the natural world hasn't. And I wanted to know more. So I called up Dennis Rogers. He's an avid backcountry canoer, camper, bushcraft specialist, and the creator of the Canoe Hound YouTube channel and brand. We chatted about the skills needed to disappear into the wilderness for days on end, the connection to the land he's fostered over the last number of decades, and how a cold, rainy night in 1984 helped to harden his resolve to explore the backcountry of Canada. Dennis, welcome to Connected to the Land. Hey, thanks for having me, Ian. At, well, this is great. Listen, I, I'm looking out my window, and um, uh, people who are avid listeners to this podcast know that I just recently moved into a home, and in, just across the street from my home is a lake, and there's always people out there in canoes, and uh, there's not a lot of backwoods camping happening in my neighborhood in downtown Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, uh, but I'm constantly reminded about it, so I'm really happy to be talking to you about this, this topic today. I think this is going to be exciting. Thanks. You know what? I'm willing to share whatever I can. Yeah. Well, you have a lot to share. Uh, I, I like I mentioned before in our pre-chat that you, you, uh, you have a really wonderful YouTube uh, channel, and you've got a lot of information on your website. You've got yeah. This is going to be great. But I want to let's roll it back a little bit. I wonder if maybe you can tell me about uh, where the love for camping and canoeing started with you. 
Oh gosh, you know, uh, when I was a kid there, uh, mom and dad put me in Boy Scouts and uh, it was something that I, I really, really enjoyed. Uh, the one thing that I really did enjoy about that was when, you know, we had our, our little jamborees or our, our camp weeks where we would go out to a, a Boy Scout camp and, you know, do all kinds of tent camping and hmm. uh, canoeing and paddling and things of that sort. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it just kind of stemmed from there. Uh Took quite a bit of time off, and then uh, once I hit around, you know, the eighteen to twenty year old mark, uh, right. I, I sort of started jaunting into a few of my own uh, canoe trips and things, things like that. Yeah, I, I you know what I th- I think back to my first experience as well, and I never really thought about this. I like my family used to go sort of day camping and whatnot, an overnight camping. But I think it was the Boy Scouts for me too, actually. I think of the few trips that we took and they were, you know, we, we took a few more risks than, than my family necessarily did when we were out there. And not huge risks. I mean, we were all kids basically, but we were, you know, we were making our own fires and we were responsible for setting up our own tents and all that stuff. And it was a real, uh, um, it was a real great way to, to kind of get a little bit of experience out in the natural world. Yeah, that's a, you know what an experience that more more kids even these days should be uh, yeah. should be trying out and enjoying. You know, um, you know things are so different now with kids and computers that uh, a lot of the kids are missing these types of experiences where they can get out there and learn a bit about uh, camping and the outdoors and you know running through the grass or the trees and yeah yeah and and you've got kids is that something that you uh, you shared with them growing up. You know, I, I have two daughters, uh, 29 and 26, and yeah. uh, believe it or not, yes, they, they were both in uh, Girl Guides when they were younger. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife even took on the responsibility of becoming a Girl Guide leader so that uh, she could experience it with them and um, had them on many different, uh, you know, camping trips with other uh, other young children like themselves at the time. Yeah. And uh, they uh, to this day, they still love camping but probably not to the extent that i do with uh, all my backcountry adventures but uh they do right. love going camping so did you ever take them out in the canoe when they were younger i i ask now as a selfish reason because i've got two girls myself at seven and eleven and uh i i have to admit i don't have the experience that you have so the <laughs> idea of plunking young children into a canoe and heading off into the wilderness with them to go overnight camping i know people do that have did you try that growing up? Yeah, yeah. We I had my girls out on a few uh, good trips when they were younger. Um, yeah. And it has been, I guess, I, I could say far too long since they have been out with a, on a trip with dad. But then again, they're <laughs> married and uh, they yeah. have their own lives, right? Right, right. Um, not to say we don't see them all the time. But yeah, when they were, uh, when they were younger, we had them on a few uh, extended backcountry trips, uh, you know, 70, 80 kilometers back into the bush. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, they, they rather enjoyed it. Um, mm-hmm. I think the very last time we did go on a big trip like that was one that uh, it started out fantastic, but it didn't end too well. We ran into a weather situation that had us stranded uh, overnight on an island, sort of windbound. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, my wife was with us as well. And um, that was one of those things where, you know, they didn't, well, my wife really didn't like it. So she hasn't been on a trip with me <laughs> since uh, okay. back, All right. <laughs> back country. But uh, yeah, you know, the, the girls do have an interest. Uh, uh, I know they'll, they'll probably get into uh, getting their children out as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, well, passing down that love for it, I think is, is important. I mean, you, you know, you mentioned that it's something kids should be doing more of. Um, you also mentioned on your website, a trip in 1984 
you you call it the, the first backwoods camping trip that you did, and it <laughs> it didn't go according to plan. So I want I want you to tell me if you can a little bit about that particular trip and why it didn't turn you off camping entirely and did the opposite. Well, yeah, it was uh, it was back in the earlier days, right? And uh, gear wasn't the same way it is these days, you know, with all the high tech stuff, <laughs> yeah. uh, materials, you know, uh, the, the canoe, we had a rental aluminum canoe, which was old rickety heavy, uh, you know, very clunky sounding, uh, had a, a pop tent. I don't know if you you know what a pop tent, it was mm. just like a little A-frame tent uh, held up at two ends by poles. <laughs> I think you, you, uh, you see it in like, you know, th- those old army movies and you just see rows and rows of privates with their, you know, with their feet sticking out the end of the... Those exactly. Little- and that, that was the case with me. I'm a, I'm a taller fellow. I, 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 uh, I'm six foot one. Right. And quite literally, my feet stuck out of the end. And it wasn't, it wasn't fun when it rained. Uh, we had bad bugs. Uh, at the time, we had no water filtration. So, like, we didn't oh, know yeah. what to drink for water, like, even though we were out on a lake, right? Like, can you just dip the cup in the water and drink? Right. Which we don't advise. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just a, a bunch of little mishaps like that, you know, uh, carrying in a cooler of food, uh, yeah, <laughs> baseball right. gloves, frisbees. And we're like, I'm talking in the backcountry, right? <laughs> right? And yeah, uh, yeah just. Very, very inexperienced when it comes to uh, backcountry tripping. Uh, but it didn't turn you off. Back, I mean, everything you described right there just sounds like the first and last time someone would try this, but it did the opposite. Yeah, well, you know what? We we still did have our fun. You know, we, we caught a lot of fish. Uh, we still got to okay. enjoy the beauty of the outdoors and, uh, you know, some good and bad weather. But uh, no, yeah. it didn't turn me off because uh, it just kind of uh, encouraged me to get myself some better equipment, uh, uh, you know, some right. lighter weight stuff. And uh, over the years, it's just continued to improve. So I remember some of that old stuff too. And I, you know, I, I, uh, I very briefly had a stint working with uh, um, an, an outfit here in, in Halifax and they were teaching kids how to canoe. And I wasn't the instructor. I was the instructor's helper, but we used to have to carry those big heavy metal canoes down to the yeah. down to the lake and and they were they you know they were fine for what we were doing with but I, I mean I can't watching the videos of you portaging over you know for a kilometer or so just my experience is thinking of one of those giant machines on the back of your <laughs> on your yeah. back dragging it yeah having some newer lightweight equipment it's that much better right eh, these days than it would I mean this is where we're talking like 20 25 years ago now for me so I can only imagine how much better it is now for you Oh, yeah. You know, like back then, a, a canoe, you know, an aluminum canoe or one of the old fiberglass canoes. Yeah. You could count on those things weighing anywhere from like 85 to 110 oh. pounds type of deal, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, the one canoe I have now weighs in at a whopping 30 pounds. So, it's, right. uh, yeah. you know, it's like throwing a feather over your head in comparison to what we had <laughs> in the early days. Yeah. It's still not nothing, though. Yeah. Uh, you know, are you are you one of these folks who love the challenge of the elements? You know, like the snow and the rain, the problem solving. I'm I'm thinking I had Joe Robinette on the on the podcast a few episodes ago, and I remember the story about him almost losing his feet to frostbite. Yeah, yeah. Is that is that the level? Is there something about that that sort of invigorates you, the challenge or the risk of that, or are you looking for a little more tranquil experience? Uh, you know what? I, I enjoy the challenge. Um, and that, that's evident by what we faced last year on our big canoe trip where we we had everything thrown at us, all the bad weather and and the winds. And it was, I called it the trip from hell. 
But yeah. uh, you know, I, to me, it's the challenge. I'm uh, I'm getting up there in years a little bit. I'm 57 currently, and I'm, I'm trying to enjoy these trips that are the difficult trips now while I still can, while I still have my health. Hmm. Uh, Hopefully, I have my health for many, many years. But yeah, yeah so it's it's one of those deals where I'll, I'll save the uh, the tranquil, uh, you know, uh, what do they call lily puddler or tra- you know the, the simple trips. I'll try and save those for when I I really can't carry the canoe over my head. Maybe by that time, my grandson will be old enough to help me. So, <laughs> well, you, I mean, you, you say you know you're 57, which is still pretty young. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm watching your videos of you out there. They're, you're not slow at all. I mean, and what you're doing is not easy. You certainly don't look like you're having any trouble with it, although. I mean, I am I am sort of struck, and this might actually be the same trip you were just referring to. There's a video uh, of of one of these trips that you're taking, and I'm watching, and, and there's beautiful vistas, and there's delicious campouts and starry nights, and I think to myself, you know, this is this just looks so idyllic. And then I stumble across this particular video, and it's you know three days, and it's already been raining for a couple of days. You have a portage of 750 meters, and it turns out to be way longer than that. You're dragging your canoe by yourself through the forest. Yeah, giant yeah. flies. You're sinking up to your knees in bogs. I mean, I my inspiration took a little bit of a hit watching that. <laughs> you know what? A lot of people's inspiration would take a hit with that. Um, you know what? As challenging as that was, at the end of the day, um, that that like I mentioned, that entire trip was uh, it was a, a bit of a a slog fest. Yeah. Um, but that, like, you know, at the end of the day, when you finally get to your, your campsite and you're able to put your feet up, you know, and eat, eat a warm meal and you reflect and when you, when you ref, reflect back on the day, you realize maybe it wasn't as bad as you thought, you know, right. um, but not to say it wasn't bad, um, you know, a couple episodes beyond that there, it was also, uh, we, we run into a day where uh, one of the young fellows on a trip almost ended up hypothermic because we had rain all day and we were slogging through creeks and rivers up yeah, to right. our, our waists. And so there, there is a lot of work and a lot of safety that you have to uh, take into consideration when it comes to that stuff to, to not get yourself in a jam. But at the end of the day, uh, you know what? It's an experience that I wouldn't have traded in for anything. And in fact, our big trip this year, uh, my main canoe buddy, Jay, and myself are going back up to that area oh, and yeah. doing a different rendition of the trip just to take it in again. Um, so is having company on your on your voyages important to you? Or do you ever do any of these solo trips or, or are you generally out there with other people? Uh, I, I have done a few solo trips and I do enjoy them. Uh, but never truly solo because I always take mm. my dog Molly with me. Right. But, uh, yeah. We, you know what? Typically, I, I enjoy company when I'm out there. Um, you know, yeah. it's nice to share an experience uh, with with other people to to have somebody to chat with around the campfire at nighttime when the day is all done. Yeah. Uh, you know, and reflecting back on stories or you know helping your buddy net a, a huge monster pike or something along that lines. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's yeah. nice to have other people to share the experience with. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I suppose there's there's also a safety concern as well. I mean, if you've got someone else there with you, if you ever find yourself in a pickle, like suddenly you're, you're dealing with hypothermia. Right. You know, there, there, there are safeguards against that as well, using like a, a Garmin GPS unit with a, you know, in reach capability or a spot device or a Zolio. Uh, but it doesn't mean rescue is going to be there in five minutes. If, if something does happen, you know, bear attack, hypothermia, yeah, right, yeah. Uh, you know, capsize, whatever it may be. 
Uh, so there is an element of, uh, of risk always, and it's always good to have somebody there to help if, you know, if, if something, if, if the stuff does hit the fan, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah, you know, that to me, that that's another concern too. Uh, like, you know, given my age and I, I'm not referring that 57 years old is old by all means, no. but uh, it's not 22 either, right? So, mm. <laughs> Yeah. But it's it's nice to have your buddy there, um, you know, somebody to rely on. Uh, you never know. You can uh, you can you know cut yourself with an axe, and yeah. have somebody there to to help with uh, you know patching up a wound or something like that is yeah. is always a nice thing to yeah. uh, to count on. I mean, I think I would take probably experience and wisdom over over the uh, the strength of youth. For something yeah. like this, I mean, especially when we're talking about survival. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. By all means. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't mean to dwell on, and I asked you a few questions about, you know, like this particular trip that went wrong and, you know, how can you, you know, still be inspired to do that? But I mean, the reasons I'm asking these questions is because I think, I think they really speak to the reason behind going on a trip like this to begin with. And, And correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I mean, you are not, you don't strike me as the kind of person who's looking to tap out of the responsibility and escape a rat race, so to speak. I mean, it. Basically, what you're doing is there's a whole different set of responsibilities that you're taking on in the backwoods, like literally survival skills. I mean, is yeah. there something about that trade-off uh, from a more generic urban lifestyle that you find attractive? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's it's just no or going out there and knowing or or at the, you have a starting point with the trip, right? You yeah. start at said spot and you know you need to get to the finished spot uh, within a certain amount of time, and everything that happens in between there is right from the get-go from the first time you sit in that canoe until the time that you get out is kind of a survival situation because you've right. all, you've taken the, the urban elements out of your life for four days, five days, 10 days, whatever it may be. And to, you know, to, to paddle around and, or, or it could also be a, a hiking situation or, you know, mm-hmm. just uh, any time, any type of activity where you're away from civilization you know, you're you're counting on your skills. You're counting on the skill set that you've learned maybe over time or something that you've just learned watching a YouTube video or, you know, reading a book uh, by some survivalist or something like that. Yeah. And putting all these things to work and making them work together to get you from point A to point B uh, and trying to keep yourself relatively comfortable in between is uh, it's, it's a skill set that, uh, you know, many people should learn. Um, yeah. To, to jump into, say, for instance, uh, canoe tripping and going deep wilderness for your very first trip, yeah. I kind of don't advise that. Uh, <laughs> not unless you have some sort of a, a skill set, you know, yeah. from from hiking or something that, along that lines or bushcrafting. But you shouldn't jump into it inexperienced. Uh, I always even recommend people, you know, go with somebody who has experience and you can yeah. learn so much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is there one particular skill or attribute that you would say people should possess or work on if if this is something you're thinking of doing? Uh, you know, um, fire making is 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 key. Um, huh. You know, so many so many things can be helped by having the warmth of a fire. You know, you're preparing your food, uh, purifying water, uh, warmth. In the, in the case of uh, hypothermia, there, fire making skills are are very very important. And there's so many ways that you can make fire nowadays. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, ferrule rods, your your typical bic lighter, uh, which. So many bushcrafters nowadays seem to avoid the big lighter. Oh, really? When it's probably the 
Well, you know, everybody wants to use a ferro rod nowadays because it's a cool thing. You could throw sparks, right? Uh, okay. Um, yeah, I don't know if that, I know what that is. But a ferro rod is it? Is literally like it just throws sparks in, into? Uh, well, you explain to me. I'm not going to try. Yeah. To guess okay. It. Well, a ferro rod is it's a ferrocium rod. So basically, right. it's a, sort of a metal like rod that uh, that throws sparks when you use a carbon edged blade or okay. or a saw blade or something like that and you, right. you run it down and it creates a, a spark pile mm-hmm. so what you would do is collect a whole bunch of dry tinder or uh, birch bark and uh, do some scrapings or, or fatwood which is uh, resinous uh, pine wood mm-hmm. and or you can use artificial fire starters as well like uh, cotton swabs with uh, yeah. petroleum jelly on it or something along that line and basically the sparks ignite a fire for you right yeah and even using a ferro rod, uh, you should learn how to use a ferro rod or, or fire striker, they're also called, um, just to, you, you got to learn how to use these things because I've, I've handed a ferro rod to many people and unless you know how to throw the spark or get the spark, um, it's useless to you, right? Right, yeah. But a big lighter, <laughs> you, you flick the switch and she's going to go uh, for the most part, unless it's wet or cold, over cold, but you dry it or you warm it up. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of these things where so much of this, so many of these tools are, are just available to whoever wants to, to get them. And there's, you don't need a license to go camping. Um, but it is still something that you really should have a little bit of experience or like you say, go out with someone who knows what they're doing first, or, you know, there's lots of information on YouTube and stuff like, you know, your channel, especially that people can go and check out. Maybe not something you want to just run out and, and, and do for the first time. Um, but even with yourself, you mentioned, you know, planning planning your route. How much planning do you do in advance? Do you ever just say, you know what, this is going to be the weekend. There's a lake over there, you know, that I passed on the way home from my last adventure. I'm just going to, I'm just going to dip in and just see where it takes me. Or is that yeah. kind of a no-no? Uh, you know what? I would say kind of a no-no. You should always uh, be planning your canoe routes um, and also plan a uh, an alternate route should something go awry. Uh, right, yeah. You know, I, I when I'm planning a trip, um, typically we'll, we'll pick a, a date. Uh, I'll just kind of give you an idea of what's going on with uh, our big August trip. Yeah. We, we've selected our dates, right? So we know the time frame that we're going to gonna be uh, going. Uh, we kind of pick an area, a geographical area that we want to go to, which in this case is going to be kind of the same area that we went to last time. Not the same route, but the same area. And then, uh, you know, you start collecting maps. You start looking for resources like uh, maybe uh, canoe trip guidebooks by, you know, Kevin Callan, Hap Wilson. Uh, there, there's a number of guidebooks out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of resources online, uh, whether it be YouTube, uh, MyCCR, which is a, uh, a popular canoe trip route planning uh, uh, website and forum. Right. Um, you know, and just, just asking around, uh, getting all kinds of information. So the more prepared you are for a trip, the kind of easier it's going to go. You know, if you have a general idea of where your campsite might be on a lake, uh, an idea of where the portages are going to lay, uh, it, it makes a, a lot of difference. You know, are you traveling big water lakes? Are you traveling creeks? Are you traveling, yeah. you know, are you, you know, lily or pond jumping type of deal? Yeah. So the more planning you could do, the the more prepared you can be for a trip. Uh, case and example, I, I'm a hammock sleeper. I, I use a hammock tent uh, when I when I camp. Um, something I, I hope to never go back to a tent, actually. But uh, mm-hmm. you know what? There's some situations where you go to areas and there's no trees to support 
a hammock. Right. So yeah. you have to be prepared for that. You know, are you going through a, a burned out area? Are you going through a, typically a lot of bog area? Are you going through a tundra where there's no trees? So yeah. there's a lot to prepare for. Uh, so, well, now I'm interested. What do you do if you, if you arrive to your campsite and there's nowhere for you to hang your hammock? Are you just sleeping rough on the ground then? Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I've actually been known to uh, sleep just on the ground under a tarp. Okay. Um, my hammock is complete with a, uh, it comes with a, a separate tarp. And, uh, you know, you could configure a tarp to many different uh, sleeping shelters, uh, yeah. whether it's an A-frame, a plow, or th- there's many different configurations so that you're, you're covered out of the elements if it mm. happens to rain or you get to do at nighttime. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're experienced in bushcraft as well. Uh, uh, we're not going to go maybe too deep into bushcraft, but that is something that, that has helped you in the backwoods. I mean, you're able to kind of construct an A-frame and you mm-hmm. have lots of uh, resources on your website. And, and of course, you know, your your different videos that you have online sort of explaining some basic skills that one can obtain before going into the backwoods. Um, is that something you've just sort of uh, taken on uh, over the years as you started camping and realizing that, oh, I should basically, I should know a little bit about bushcraft in order to help my camping experience. Yeah. You know, bush, bushcraft, uh, a lot of people term themselves as bushcrafters. I, I yeah. term myself more as a, a uh, backcountry canoeer. Right. Uh, but you know what, when you are out there, bushcraft skills do come into play. Uh, you know, if you just building a fire, that's a bushcraft skill. Um, you know, yeah, harvesting yeah. and collecting wood is a bushcraft skill. Uh, how, how to perhaps purify water without a water purifier is a bushcraft skill. Hmm. So these, these are all things that go hand in hand with uh, backcountry camping. Yeah. Uh, there again, of any sort, whether it's uh, canoeing or paddling or uh, hiking. But it's, uh, you know what, these are all skills that you pick up and you might not term them as, as bushcrafting, uh, you know, a lot of people think bushcrafter, I got to go out there and I have to build a lean-to shelter. Or I have to go out there and, uh, you know, build myself a, a chair to sit on or, or whatever it may be. Right. That's yeah. the crafting part. But the skill of bushcrafting is something that you should have a little bit of knowledge from. And that's where the, the Boy Scout skills come in, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 I mean, at the at the root of it, it's survival. You're just trying to... Yeah. I mean, you want to enjoy the experience as well, but yeah. uh, you want to make sure that, you know, while you're out there sort of eliminating as many super dangers as possible. And, and you're, and you're not also, also, you're not the only one out there. Uh, Canada is a pretty big country, mm-hmm. but you're still running into other people every now and then on, on, on the lakes and on the trails and stuff. So, I mean, when you run into someone out there, you're, you're fairly, you know, uh, approachable fellow. And, and, you know, I, I've seen you take out your camera and interview a couple people on the, if you, you know, for your own podcast and your own vlog, yeah. Yeah. um, what, what kind of people are you running into that are, that are taking advantage of the wilderness like this? What kind of stories are they telling you? You know, what? We're, we're running into people that are just like me or just like, you know, anybody else that's out there canoeing. Yeah. Um, the, the first thing I, the, the one thing that we do, uh, my, my buddy and I, we're, we're more, uh, crown land backcountry campers. Uh, we tend to stay away from the provincial parks because they are a little too populated for us. When we oh, get away, okay. we like to get away from people, <laughs> you know, right. not to say we're loners and it's, it's always cool to see people and you always say hi and you always check and make sure that things are are good, you know, yeah. that uh, they're, they're not having any issues. Um, but when we do run into people, like, you know, it's, it's cool to stop and have a conversation, uh, find out where they're coming from, where they're going to. And it's always the same going the other way, right? They'll, they want to know what you're doing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, 
on this same trip that uh, that we were talking about earlier, uh, we run into a couple, uh, Glenn and Carol, who uh, have an organization called Canoe for Change, and basically they they're they just left now for like uh, they're going towards uh, the territories and they're going up there on this big uh, canoe expedition. And this couple have actually paddled across Canada, and uh, they'd probably be a very interesting guest for your show as well. Mm, yeah. But. Uh, you know what? It's funny that we run into somebody that uh, we've actually become friends with. And later on in the trip, when uh, we were paddling along, we happened to run into them again. Our, we were wow. doing opposing circle routes, right? So oh, we're okay. kind of the same route, but going opposite directions. And the day that we had that was really, really bad where uh, uh, Owen, the one young fellow on our trip that was almost hyperthermic, we were looking for our, this campsite, which happened to be the campsite that they were on. And we got ourselves a bit uh, in a pickle because there was no other campsites in the area that we knew of. Uh, it was getting dark. It was still rainy. It was mm. just horrible, horrible conditions. Yeah. And they were the ultimate Canadians and uh, the ultimate backcountry campers. And even though their campsite was like very, very small, they invited us. There were six of us on this trip and they invited us up to, to spend a night because they knew we were in a real dire situation. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's the kind of thing that when you meet, you run into people, it's always great to say hi, give a wave, acknowledge, make things, make sure things are okay and make sure that there's, uh, you know, no, no issues at hand that uh, can be life-threatening potentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's, that's amazing. I'm glad that trip ended up turning out all right in the end. Um, yeah. Having having an experience like that, however, when you, when you really consider what it is that you're doing, especially from someone like me, from my standpoint, it, it looks as though, you know, the, the chance, the potential for something like that happening is reasonably high. Um, have you had many nail biting experiences like that while you're, you know, because you've been doing this for a few years now? Yeah, you know, touch wood, no. Uh, you know okay. what, uh, that situation that we had there was probably one of the most serious situations that we've ever had on a trip. Um, we have had injuries uh, a couple of years earlier. One of the fellows with us, um, we we're packing, we we're on our second day of the trip, just getting ready to leave and we we're packing our canoes and he happened to duck around this tree. And when he, he come up, he caught the corner of a broken branch on a tree and quite literally mm. gashed like he, for seven stitches around wow. his eye, like right next to his eye. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, being the first day in, he was close enough that he was actually able to, him and his son, they paddled back to my truck and they drove into Timmins, Ontario to the hospital, yeah. got all patched up and then joined us, uh, <laughs> joined us back on the oh. trip. So, <laughs> oh, but had that happened in the middle of the trip, it would have been a little more serious because, yeah, right. you know, when you're three days in, that means you're three days out. Yeah. Right. And short of hitting the SOS speaking on your, uh, you know, your inReach or your spot device, what what do you do in that situation? So you make sure you got yourself a good first aid kit, maybe some skills, uh, you know, some backcountry uh, first aid skills mm -hmm. and uh, start patching up. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask about that because I mean, what you're doing has a fairly high risk level. I mean, I'll, I'll come back to the fact that, that, you know, you've had some I want to say, I don't want to say luck, but you, you know, you haven't experienced too much of this, but I just think of like portaging through a bog with a canoe on your head. I mean, you could, it's easy to twist an ankle, you know, injuries do happen out there, but it sounds like, you know, being prepared as much as you can in advance, it has, has done a lot to, to sort of help with mitigating you experiencing those kinds of events. 
Would you say that that's fair? Would you say that it's not necessarily luck for you? It's the fact that, you know, you put a lot of work into making sure that you know what you're doing when you go out there so that these kinds of things, I mean, anyone can just turn left and, and you know, find a stick in their face. That 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 can just happen. But there's a lot that you can do to to mitigate a chance of it happening. Yeah. You know, I think, I think it comes down to uh, thinking before you're doing, Um, you know, if you're not sure of how to do something and you're, you're with people that are more experienced, ask, Uh, don't, don't just automatically assume that, uh, you know, if you grab that tree and you pull that it's going to come down, you're going to hurt your back if the thing snaps on you quick. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You you have to be prepared. um, And that comes, that comes with skill, but skill doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you're never going to have an issue or, or a situation. Yeah. So ultimately the thing is, is you really have to think about what you're doing uh, before you're doing it. Um, one of the biggest, scariest things that you can, uh, can happen in the back country um, is, is poor ax skills, you know, swinging right. an ax around. If you're inexperienced with an ax, uh, the potential for danger is so serious. You know, right. uh, if that, that glances off the piece of wood and uh, embeds itself in the shin of your leg, yeah. you got a serious problem. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, these are skills that you should brush up on and it, it, it comes, you know, just thinking, you got to think things through. You really do. Yeah. Um, you recently had a, uh, a video blog, uh, about backcountry etiquette, and mm-hmm. uh, I want to go into a little bit about that because, I mean, one could argue, well, one could maybe be forgiven for thinking that, you know, you're just out in the woods. There are very few people around. What does etiquette have to do with anything? I mean, it's, it's not tea with the queen, you know, but right, right. but there is an etiquette involved in backcountry camping. And uh, I, I wonder if maybe you can talk a little bit about that and, and what you've seen uh, that maybe doesn't sort of fit the mold of, of etiquette. Yeah, you know what? By all means, that's uh, such an important topic and a big topic amongst uh, a lot of the the bigger names in you know backcountry expeditions mm-hmm. and 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 paddling and hiking right now. Um, you know, all, all for, first off, ed- etiquette is what it, it's, it's it's a respect for people and it's a respect for the land, right? Yeah. And uh, all too often, um, and especially with this uh, this pandemic era that we're in right now. So many people have been heading to the back to the back country and, and outdoors and and wanting to get away from city life and all the bad news and stuff that's going on. Yeah. But they're going out and they're you know their inexperience uh, for the most part is causing them to you know bringing out the the cans of beer and the food wrappers and uh, you know maybe leaving garbage around or yeah. or leaving a fire burning when they leave a, a, a campsite. Mm. Yeah. And these are all things that uh, that really need to be thought through you know, um, trying to, uh, make sure that the, the leave no trace camping type of thing where you go there and you leave the footprint, maybe just the way it was when you found it or even nicer. So yeah. for example, you go to a campsite and, uh, you know, there's garbage strewn around, there might be uh, trash in the, uh, the fire pit, mm-hmm. clean it up. You know what I mean? Uh, if you have to carry out somebody else's trash, which you shouldn't have to, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know what, leave, leave it better than you found it. Um, you know, going potty in the right places, uh, you right, know, doing yeah. it the right way, digging a cat hole or using a, a thunder box or, or whatever may be available to you, hmm. uh, making sure your fires are out. Uh, can't, there, there's just so many things. And the show that we did on that, uh, the live stream that we did, we had uh, Kevin Callan, who's yeah. a popular Canadian canoeist. Uh, I call him an icon for, for Canadian, uh, paddling. Yeah. Um, uh, good friend of mine now, he, uh, he, you know, he, 
he he's an advocate for that as well. And that's why we did the show is to try and bring awareness to uh, those who might not know uh, that there is an etiquette for backcountry camping. You know, yeah. there's a right way to do things and there's a wrong way to do things. And uh, we want to try and get as many people on board to do things the right way so that the next person, you might be following in my footsteps. And that way there, you can ex- have the same great experience that we had at the campsite. So, yeah. I mean, the things that you just mentioned there, they, they sound, it doesn't sound like you need to necessarily go out and, and get a textbook on this. A lot of it is just basic human decency. You know, just, mm-hmm. it's the stuff you've learned in kindergarten. Just leave it looking better than than it was when you got there. Exactly. And, you know, treat your fellow people on the trail with some respect. You know, I was really struck by some of the stories that you were sharing with with that live uh, that live stream with Kevin Callan. And, uh, you know, you're talking about the mistreatment of campsites, poor manners on the trail. I mean, you asked Kevin this question that I'm going to ask you. Is it getting worse? Uh, is it getting worse? You know, it, 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 I don't know if it's getting worse or if it's uh, kind of lined out right now, you know, um, you don't know until you happen upon a campsite that is, has been trashed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, For the most part, I I find it happens more in provincial parks because they are so highly used and so highly used by inexperienced uh, canoeists. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, So it may be getting worse in them areas, but you know, I, I I've gone to pristine campsites and found pristine campsites. And then I've gone to campsites that, we've had to just say, you know what, let's go find something else because there's broken glass bottles all over. Uh, Something that I call um, uh, toilet paper roses (laughs) laying all over the place, including right in the middle of the best tent sites. Yeah. Right. Uh, You know, things that you shouldn't see unsightly things like uh, diapers and uh, you know, sanitary products uh, in the wrong spot. Or if if, uh, I've seen wine bottles and thunder boxes, it's, it, you know, it, it can get pretty bad. So is it getting worse? Um, I, that's hard to tell because I've experienced this for many years, yeah. and uh, but it hasn't seemed to have gotten any worse to me. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it only takes one, really. I mean, you, you you can go to campsite after campsite, and they can just be pristine, and they can be well, but it just takes that that one, just coming in behind that one person who has mistreated a, a site that just sort of yeah. wrecks it all and really puts that bad taste in your mouth. Exactly. You know, Ian, I, I can give you one example of, of something that uh, that I found that really, really, really irked me. Like, okay, you do get the inexperienced campers that go out there and they, they kind of don't know, you know, they might leave a pile of trash in a fire pit, which can eventually attract bears and mm, cause right. a problem at that campsite because a bear becomes habituated to knowing that there could be food there, right? Right. There's a, a particular trip that we've done uh, on a couple of occasions and there's one beautiful island campsite that we have uh, used on many occasions. And the last time we went there, there was a tent that was collapsed there, just left there as garbage, an old foam mat that was left there. Uh, Like it it was like people just said, you know what, we're just going to leave this here. We don't need it. So basically they chose, and it's not, it's, it's not an accidental thing. They chose to leave their tent and old sleeping mats there, uh, old lawn chairs, yeah. So basically they used it as a dumping ground, right? Yeah. And that, that's right. the kind of thing uh, that, that we need to avoid out there because who's going to carry that out? I'm not going to carry it out as, you know, I'm, I'm starting a canoe trip. I'm not going to carry that thing for the next seven days. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of a horrible thing when you see that. And that there is by choice. That's not by, by accident. So. 
I mean, you must just shake your head when you see something like that. I mean, it, we, the conversation about the environment is not one that is diminishing. Like this is, it's it's ramping up. It's something that people are are talking more about. Even our political parties are, are using it as a platform piece, which was 20, 30 years ago, not something yeah. they ever talked about. Um, but I guess it comes down to, I mean, maybe it's not obvious that the, the natural environment is a place to be respected by some people. I mean, right. I, I want to kind of bring this back to this connection to the land idea, you know, when you're out there, I wonder if maybe you, you can talk a little bit about the connection that you feel when you're out there, which is probably one of the guiding forces that gets you out there. It, and if you have any insight as to, to why people just don't seem to get that connection and end up trashing a site the way you just mentioned. Sure. Well, you know, I, I live in the heart of uh, the Niagara region, right? I'm very close to Niagara Falls. Okay. And for me to get out and really enjoy, you know, wilderness, uh, there there are there are some conservation areas around here and stuff, but it's it's not the same, right? So for me, like you know, the tranquility and stuff of, of enjoying the backcountry is is getting up north, and uh, which is like five hour drive for me is 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 where my north begins, right? Right. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it's going to begin tonight because I'm leaving for a trip tonight. But we're, uh, you know, that that's where my tranquility uh, begins is when we actually get back. And as I mentioned earlier, I, I like to go to places where I don't see people. And back there, you get to see things that, you know, we don't get to see down here in the heart of Niagara. You know, over here, it's all buildings and highways and yeah. factories and what have you. Up there, it's trees and it's nature and it's seeing animals and it's uh, fishing and living off the land a little bit, you know, uh, kind of brings you back to basics. You know, it's it's yeah. nice to not have a phone ringing. It's nice to not have a computer screen in front of your face, Uh you know, and, and even, and as much as I love my family, it's nice just to get, you know, a little break time and stuff like that. Right. Uh, yeah. Mind you, my wife and I do try to stay in communication through the spot device or my, my GPS is, you know, I could send messages saying we're okay. Things are going good. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's just about getting away from the everyday rat race and getting out there and getting back in tune with nature, because I'll tell you, there's nothing better for the soul than getting out there and having a, a beautiful experience. And even when you have a bad day, uh, the next day, if it's sunshiny, you forget all about the day before. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, that, I see you've just built my inspiration back up again. There you go. There you go. It got knocked down, but now it's, it's back up. I mean, you, you talk a little bit about how, when you go out there, you, you sort of like to not, you're not looking to run into people. If you do, great, but that's not the reason why you're out there. It, mm -hmm. And yet you say one of your goals is to motivate people to get outside more and to get more people outside. Why Why is it important for you to, to motivate other people to enjoy the outdoors? Uh, you know what? Because I'd be selfish if I, uh, if I thought I could keep it all to myself. <laughs> I really would. You know, it, it, it's so beautiful. And I've, I've had uh, a couple of buddies come on trips with me before. And sometimes it takes a real, real encouragement to get somebody to come out because it's right out of their comfort zone. You know, they yeah. might be a holiday in camper. But when they actually get out there and they experience it, and you ask them at the end of the trip, so really, what did you think of the trip? They go, when are we going next year? <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? To, to me, that that's telling that, you know, so many people enjoy it but you know there, there's a lot that might not you know like some people yeah. are are it's not their bag right but for those that go out there and experience it at least you could say you've tried it once and if you really yeah. loved it 
you're going to do it again. You're going to, you're going to look forward to it. Right. So yeah, that, that, that's the whole thing. I think uh, everybody should at least try to experience something like that once. Uh, it doesn't even have to be backcountry. It could be right. front country camping, uh, you know, at a, at, in a provincial park or something along that lines. And get out and hike, hike the trails that are yeah. around. You know, yeah. it could be a, a two kilometer, five kilometer, seven kilometer, whatever it might be. And uh, prepare yourself, go out for a nice day hike and just take it in. You know, the, the sights yeah. and the sounds and the smell of the forest or, you know, the, the smell of the forest when it's uh, after a rainfall is like, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. So to get out there and enjoy that and really open up your senses from the everyday rat race. And that's, that's yeah. why I like to try and introduce no pe- new people to the backcountry. Well, you're doing a great job with it. Dennis, I really appreciate you taking the time. I encourage everyone to, to check out your, uh, your YouTube channel and your Instagram and, and your website too, because there are some really great resources there. If you are considering getting out and doing some backcountry or just front country, <laughs> yep, <laughs> front yep. country camping it is or hiking, term. Yeah. Okay. All right. Not one that I was familiar with, um, but I don't mean to just keep using this word. But you are an inspiration. This is this has been fantastic. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you, Ian. It's been a good time. Connected to the land is a PV Industries podcast, produced by Village Sound, and I'm your host, Ian Sherwood. A special thanks to this episode's sponsor, PV Mart, the 100% Canadian-owned, down-to-earth retail chain. If you enjoyed this program, you should consider subscribing. Also, you can check us out at connectedtotheland.info, our affiliated website and a great resource for homesteading, farming, and all things connected to the land. Thanks for listening. <laughs>